Hello, witches and wanderers. My name is Missa. And my name is Katie, and welcome to the Baby Witch Podcast. Okay, so before we get started on today's episode, we want to give a little bit of a disclaimer um, and content warning. We will be talking about some really heavy issues, and we want to make sure that all of you out there are taking care um, and in the right mind space before listening. Mm -hmm. So just as a warning, this episode, we jump around from subject to subject. So this might seem like a lot, but it's not as though we talk about these things the entire episode long. Um, But this episode will discuss sexual violence, the Holocaust and Nazism, transphobia, and mental health issues. So if any of those topics are distressing for you, um, you can let us know. We can find out when is a good place for you to jump in and out of the episode. Um, But again, we just want to make sure that you are all taking care of yourselves. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone, Missa here. So actually, before we get started, I have a second disclaimer. Um, I know two disclaimers in one episode, y'all, what are you getting yourselves into? But we just wanted to let you know that we actually recorded this episode several months ago. It was slated to be released pretty much the same week that the pandemic hit the United States. Um, We felt it was going to be too traumatic to listen to for you all at that time. So we pulled it and recorded the self-care episode in its place. However, now with everything that is going on in the United States, um, we have come to a reckoning. And we, as a society, I think are hopefully finally understanding the problematic history that we have and we felt that it's also a good time to recognize that in our witchcraft as well we need to recognize the problematic witches in our history so that we can learn from them but not repeat um, the problems that they had so we wanted to to give you all this episode and and let you learn from it all right here we go hi katie how are you I'm doing pretty well. How are you, Missa? I'm good. Just spent this weekend um, binge watching the second season of Siempre Bruja or Always a Witch on Netflix. And it was, wow, so much better than the first season. Not that there was a lot wrong with the first season, but just like this season blew me away. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear that you liked it. Um, I have just had a pretty low key weekend. Mercury retrograde has been kicking my butt. So I'm just, you know, trying to take everybody's advice and slow it down and not try to do as much. And yeah, that's more or less what I'm doing. I'm ready for this retrograde to be over, even though we have about a week left. So yeah, no kidding. Um, I do have a funny Mercury retrograde story, though. Um, So this morning, I woke up and I got onto Facebook. And one of our mutual friends, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, woke up to, or she had, she had posted a picture of like the, of some old goddess statues of like the really curvy goddess statues mm-hmm. and said, it was like some little meme about like, I told him I was built like a goddess. Didn't like, it's not my fault. He didn't take art history. <laughs> Just like That's a funny. funny little meme mm-hmm. and her damn ex from like 10 years ago commented on it and was like, interesting that you know the way that we've considered goddesses shapes over the years you know something that was kind of fine and then he goes but you know to me you were always more like Aphrodite (laughs) oh x don't 
Okay, everybody say it with me. When it's a Mercury retrograde, ignore any texts from your exes or, in my case, estranged family members. Um, yes, I literally texted her. I, like, screenshotted it and sent it to her. And I was like, ooh, Mercury retrograde, huh? And she was like, I don't have your number in my phone. But just kidding, I know who this is. <laughs> we are all ready for Mercury to go direct again. Yes, please go direct. I'm over it. Um all right, so today we're going to be talking about um, just controversial witches or controversial subjects within witchcraft, um, and I think maybe it's a good idea to preface this conversation before we go in and say, like, this, we're talking about a lot of things that are a gray area and just highlighting things where some people talk about them just bad they're only bad they vilify these things completely some people talk about how these are the pillars of witchcraft and if you question them then shame on you you're not a real witch and so this i mean if you're getting into witchcraft i feel like it's good to be aware of the discourse around some controversial subjects like this just so you don't you know accidentally stumble into one camp or the other and not understand what's going on Yes. So if you watch any Looney Tunes episodes um, nowadays, a lot of them have a little disclaimer at the he- at the beginning. The disclaimer says, what you're about to see is problematic. This reflects the views of the time. It does not reflect, it, it doesn't age well, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not going to hide it from you. We don't think that it's good to pretend that the history didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what we have to talk about when we talk about our problematic witches and our problematic ancestors. And um, really, these some of these people are the people who formed modern witchcraft. We would not have mm-hmm. our witch practices today without these people, but they are not messiahs. They weren't witch Jesus. Um, they weren't infallible. And so it's really important in learning about these people and learning about their contributions to the craft to understand that they were incredibly fallible and to acknowledge their failures, their shortcomings, and really the the detriment that they have, you know, caused some of their followers. Mm-hmm. And I would want you guys to think about it the same way that people talk about um, the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger today. She is a really problematic figure because she was a eugenicist and, um, you know, founded Planned Parenthood kind of based on those ideals. But at the same time, I mean, Planned Parenthood isn't just about abortions. It's about healthcare. I remember when I was like, you know, a teenager or in my early 20s and embarrassed about sex or didn't have health insurance, like. I went to Planned Parenthood and got my STD testings and got my first round of birth control and stuff. Or I think I, maybe not my first round of birth control. I think I went there to get a refill or something at some point. Um, But yeah, Planned Parenthood serves a lot of purposes, serves a lot of purposes to the community and they've helped millions of people, but it is, you know, founded by this eugenicist woman. So that's, that's kind of the same vibe with what we are going to be talking about today. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I like that you went to like Planned Parenthood, this amazing organization that helps so many people. And I was like, 
So if you watch the Looney Tunes, <laughs> they're both the same thing. I just, we need to, I just feel like it's important to frame the conversation because there's like a lot that can be said about these figures and some of it's good, some of it's bad, but you can't really hide from the truth. Yes. All right. So uh, without rambling on further, we're going to go ahead and start with somebody, actually all of these people you've probably heard us talk about in previous episodes and we've always kind of said, we're going to get to them later. We're going to get to them later. So tonight is a night that we're getting to them or today. Mm -hmm. I don't know when you're listening to this. Um, (laughs) We're going to start with Gerald Gardner. Uh, mm-hmm. who is considered by many to be the father of modern Wicca. Mm-hmm. Just actually the father of Wicca because it did not exist under the name of Wicca before him. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gerald Gardner claims um, that he was initiated into an old witchcraft by the New Forest Coven. Um, and so that it wasn't really him creating the religion it was just him publicizing this ancient tradition information that had been given to him by mm-hmm. another by a coven um, yeah he been the information had been passed down to him um and it's supposedly like a generational thing he had had it handed down to him yeah so a lot of what was in gardner's teachings um is clearly borrowed from other traditions so the fact Mm -hmm. that he's saying that this was an ancient tradition that was passed down to him is questionable in and of itself um a lot of it was from margaret murray a lot of it's from alistair crowley um Mm -hmm. from even the wheel of the year so the wheel of the year comes from gerald gardner we wouldn't have that without him Mm -hmm. um and again heard us talk about that we love the wheel of the year we are big um celebrators of the sabbats but we talked about when we talked did the episodes on them they're an amalgamation of celtic and germanic uh traditions mm-hmm. because they're borrowed from so many different um traditions and, and origins yeah and it's the evidence to show that he made up wicca and he didn't learn it from the new forest coven is pretty concise for example there's no evidence that the New Forest Covern ever existed. Um, he also, there's documents that he was a first degree Mason. So he didn't like learn the um, more intensive Masonic rituals, but from the rituals he just learned as a first degree Mason, he did borrow very heavily from those and those are used in Wiccan rites. Um, and then there was also something, I think he had gotten a lot of tabloid attention and because of that members of his coven were trying to rein him in and he just like oh yeah here's this ancient rule of wicca that i made just found that um says that i can do whatever i want so that like at that point the people he was talking to was like you just made that up but okay we're gonna go find our we're gonna go found our own coven basically um but yeah there's Yeah, it's got kind of a uh, Jacob Smith Latter Day Saints feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not trying to like shit on anyone else's religion or tradition. Uh, again, Katie and I are not Wiccans, um, so this isn't our tradition. But we have studied Wicca. 
And that's kind of the path that led us into witchcraft. And Mm -hmm. again, like we are so appreciative of the tools that Gerald Gardner gave us. You know, we didn't really have goddess worship prevalent before this Wicca tradition. Mm -hmm. Yes. So he's important because of that, but also this isn't, you know, an ancient tradition that he had passed down to him by Dorothy Clutterbuck. It's, you know, it is something he made up and his version of it, even though it is goddess worship was still pretty male centric. Um, But yeah, because he like, if you've studied Wicca, the God is just as important as the goddess. Um, And also, you know, there was a priest and a priestess in each coven um, or a high priest and a high priestess. Um, And, you know, it, we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to Z Budapest, but it didn't really create the egalitarian or women empowered religion that we think of Wicca as today. Yes, absolutely. Um, And I wanted to talk a little bit just about when we say he borrowed from all these different traditions and and passed that down to us and we have that now, one of the reasons, and I, Katie, I don't want to speak for you, but I don't consider myself a Wiccan. I do sometimes identify myself as an eclectic witch uh, because Mm -hmm. I do borrow from a lot of different traditions. I have deities in pantheons from around the globe. Mm -hmm. Um, So really, I mean, I consider Gardner to be kind of the first eclectic witch. uh, And it's, it's okay that he practiced, um, you know, what he practiced. Again, I don't want to diss on anyone's practice or tradition. Um, So if, but just think of it this way, however you practice, whatever your preferred witchcraft is, you're not out here necessarily creating this massive coven and uh, forcing people. And I, again, I wasn't there, um, but forcing people who want to join you to do things that maybe they weren't um, okay with doing or comfortable with doing. Mm-hmm. So the really a lot of the, the people that we're going to be talking about in this episode are people that, had their own traditions, yes, but then kind of became leaders of thankfully not quite cults. Um, mm-hmm. Because therein lies the problem is if you have your own practice, your own tradition, that's fine. It's when you start um, preaching it to other people and potentially causing harm, that's mm-hmm. when you make our list of problematic witches. Yeah. And it's not even like preaching it to other people. It's if you have that power and you are preaching it to other people and then you start abusing that power. So, yes. um, And yeah, I do agree. There's a lot of great stuff in Wicca and we're not, you know, trying to shit in anybody's Cheerios or anything. Um, But, you know, there is, you know, a controversial foundation to Wicca that you should be aware of. Um, So the big thing with Gerald Gardner that I think most people are controversial of is he, he was really into nudity. Um, he had all of his rituals performed sky clad, which is another way of saying um, performed in the buff or nude, which isn't, there isn't necessarily anything wrong with that. I personally am a little bit of a nudist. I don't really see anything 
wrong or necessarily overtly sexual with nudity. Um, however, you know, that was a, he was doing this in the early 20th century when maybe not everybody was down with that. Um, and one of the things that he also did is he required any new initiates to undergo the great rite with him, which is performing ritualized sex magic um, as a form of initiation. And this was a requirement. So you couldn't join the coven without fucking Gerald Gardner, basically. Yes. And therein lies the biggest problem is whether or not everything he said was made up bullshit. Um, I like a lot of his made up bullshit. Mm -hmm. So it's when he starts abusing that power and forcing people, young women to have sex with him in order to get that made up bullshit. You know, if, Mm -hmm. if you weren't allowed to know the secrets to practice this religion that you want to practice without fucking him, uh, then he's kind of a creepy, gross guy that I don't want to have in my history of my tradition. Yeah. And I mean, we did our research on this and we found a lot of different articles. Like I found one that full on called him a rapist for doing this type of stuff because the women maybe weren't necessarily consenting or they were coerced on stuff that was saying like, if you bad mouth Jared Gardner, you're not a real witch and screw you. So it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree. I would also consider him a rapist. I, Mm I, again, I wasn't there. Um, just based on the stories that I've heard, things that I read in the past, uh, the fact that these women, again, could only get what they needed by fucking him. Mm-hmm. That's whether or not it was forced, whether or not it was, um, it wasn't a rape and that we think of like an attack. It's still sex without consent. Mm-hmm. or consent of press. Um, yeah. If you, there's a movie that I'm hoping that you've heard of uh, called The Love Witch. Mm-hmm. And there is a Gerald Gardner-esque character. I mean, he, he has to be based on Gerald Gardner. Absolutely. Uh, in that movie, it's not about him. He's more of a side character. But the relationship between him and the main character is definitely creepy is definitely unwanted and she is so grateful for this tradition that she's you know she credits witchcraft to saving her life Mm -hmm. but again she has these like horror store like flashbacks about being initiated into the coven and and the things that he's that he's really forced her to do Mm -hmm. yeah and that's just a generally good jumping off point because Unfortunately, the using sex as an initiatory tool isn't unique to Gerald Gardner. It's something that still happens today. Um, And, you know, we don't want to kink shame. We don't want to say there's anything wrong with sex magic. If that is what you're doing and all parties involved are consenting and happy to do it, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. However, you know, especially if you're a beginner witch and you're just trying to find your coven, there are some covens that will require you to, you know, fuck the leader in order to get in, basically. 
And that's not okay. You can walk away from that. You never have to do that. Um, yeah. If, if there's a coven that says you can't come in unless you fuck us, you don't want to be in that coven. I mean, unless you're no. like, yes, I want to fuck every last one of you. If that's your thing, then join that coven. But if someone says you can't join us unless we perform the great right in actuality, a lot of times the great right is now performed by putting a, an athame into a chalice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of a symbolic great right. But if that, you know, if someone's telling you that and you don't feel comfortable doing it, you should just walk away. If, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not giving you another option, I would walk away from that. Yeah. And because it is coercive and it's not right. And I've heard, I, I haven't seen this firsthand, but just through other podcasts, I've heard of people doing things like saying that they're going to ruin your name in the witchcraft community, or you're never going to be able to join another coven if you don't do what we tell you to do. And that is all abusive and you don't have to do that. Um, And I mean, I personally heard about all the stuff. I was really gung-ho trying to figure out how to find a coven when I first started getting serious about my witchcraft practice. And since then, I've kind of backed off and been like, okay, if I find a coven, it's, it'll happen. I'm not going to stress about it. But in the meantime, I'm just going to be happy being a solitary witch because I don't want to force it and accidentally get involved with some really creepy people. Yes, that is a great point. Um, So... Speaking of sex magic, um, we're going to move on to Aleister Crowley, and he was also a practitioner of sex magic. Um, He was an occultist, and Mm -hmm. um, again, we talked about Gerald Gardner. His teachings did borrow heavily from Crowley. Um, So partly because of his practice of sex magic and the fact that he was bisexual, so he took... um, sex magic lovers of different genders he was considered like the wickedest man and very depraved um that is not why we think that Crowley was problematic (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I don't want to be here saying like bisexual witches who do sex magic are bad obviously not we love bisexual witches who do sex magic Mm -hmm. you get it um but he was just generally mm, He's, he's another problematic person. So there are a lot of things that he taught us um, that are still used today. So for instance, the, I'm assuming maybe, or perhaps you've heard of a little phrase uh, and harm none, do what you will. Mm-hmm. Um, that comes partly from Crowley. Um, his was a little bit different and he actually borrowed it it, there, the the harm none was not in there when he did when he said it. Uh, his was something along the lines of "Do what thou wilt, and it is the law," um, mm-hmm. and that was borrowed from. I'm not gonna say this right, y'all, because I don't know French, but it's Francois Rabelais. Robel, I I don't know. Francois Rabelais. I, I sure I don't know. Okay. Um, but <laughs> um. Yeah. He's also really well known for ceremonial magic. Like a lot of ceremonial magic that people even practice today is, um, you know, is based in Crowley's books and Crowley's teachings. And um, yeah, I know there's quite a few, there's a big ceremonial magic community here in Denver. And, you know, it's a lot of Crowley stuff. 
Yeah. Um, my problems with Crowley were similar to some of my issues with Gardner in that he considered himself a prophet mm-hmm. um, and he proselytized the the things that he said he heard from, I want to say, was it Horace? I don't know why I didn't write that down, but he considered himself a prophet and that he did actually start his own religion, mm-hmm. um, the Telema religion. And there are still people today that consider themselves Salamites. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I have an issue with people that start their own religions. I'm not out here trying to start my own religion. Um, I'm a solitary, which I don't know that I would ever really feel comfortable practicing as a coven because my practice is so personal. Um, and I think everyone's relationship with, uh, the divine is personal. If you do practice in a coven or worship in a church, you know, that's up to you. Um, Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, all religion is made up. Somebody made it up at some point. It just depends on who and whether or not you think that person is, um, you know, a true prophet of the divine. So, yeah, that's it, and that's, that, that rubs me the wrong way, though. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I also don't practice Wicca, because I just don't like organized religion in any of its forms, even if it's Wicca. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Crowley, like it's really hard because a lot of people think that he was talked poorly about because he was such a controversial figure just in his own time, because he was a free lover. He was a degenerate, etc. He was this really, he was the son of a very rich man who basically took that fortune and decided to go off and be the first, you know, trustafarian and create his own religion basically. Um, and so he did a lot of stuff like he was bisexual. He, um, you know, he did a lot of stuff that was just not okay for his time because this was in the late 19th century, early early 20th century. However, so he's noted as being really difficult to work with and even cruel. So he didn't really seem to have a good regard for human, um, for humanity or for treating people well. Um, there are also some really racist and anti-Semitic things he said. He's also noted as being very misogynistic. Um, he was also a free lover, but he noted very distinctly that he preferred to have sex with quote-unquote exotic women and all of the really um, problematic things with that term that we even see today with you know men uh, over-sexualizing black or um, Asian women, that kind of thing. Um, but also politically, um, and I don't necessarily think that this is, he, I don't, I didn't find any evidence that he was a full blown Nazi or anything, but he wrote about how he really liked Nazism and communism because they were disassociated from Christianity. So that's problematic in and of itself is that he liked Nazism and he supported Nazism. So, yeah, he rejected Christianity and and really like the Judeo Christianity um, as a whole. I mean, absolutely rejected. He gave himself the term, the the name Alistair Mm -hmm. because, you know, he didn't like his Christian name. Um, Mm -hmm. He, so because of that, not only was he rejecting Christianity, but also Judaism, um, 
because Christianity has its base in Judaism. And so he did like some of the, the Nazi teachings because they were anti-Semitic <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's hard for a lot of Jewish witches um, mm-hmm. who like Crowley's occultism, because again, he popularized a lot of, of dark occultism um, mm-hmm. yeah. and gave us it's like the Toth tarot deck that's, mm-hmm. that comes from Alistair Crowley. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about that in the previous episode. So it's hard to see someone that who's some of their teaching teachings you really respect. And then at the same time, wasn't willing to accept people from other faiths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's really a personal decision. Like you have to just, I mean, I think maybe some people, you know, separate the art from the artist, that kind of thing. I know a black witch personally who loves Crowley and uses his ceremonial magic and studies his um, teachings. And she is fully aware of all of his problematic issues. So I think it's just, you know, whatever works for you or whatever is in good conscience for you. Personally, for me, I don't like ceremonial magic. I'm more into like more loose or folk magic, but yeah, I mean, I, if it's your thing, you do, you do you. So. Yeah. Just again, remember that, you know, where these teachings are coming from and you can, it's kind of the opposite. So again, I was raised Catholic and you had the whole love the sinner, hate the sin kind of a thing. Um, kind of a more, respect their tradition but you don't have to necessarily respect the person that gave it to you if Mm -hmm. they would not have respected you if they knew you Mm -hmm. exactly so there are actually issues like we've talked about it before where some heathen branches or which is another way of saying um nordic or germanic traditional pagan practices are just full-on white supremacists because it is connected to you know quote-unquote Aryan people's um, histories or heritage. Um, And that's problematic in and of itself. Um, What makes it worse is that the Nazis did use, like, they fully embraced old Nordic and Germanic religion. Um, They used some runes very prominently. For example, the uh, rune Sowilo, which is an S-shaped rune, uh, is actually you know, it was put on the SS officers' um, uniforms because it symbolizes, you know, like absolute victory and momentum and striking. It Basically, it's a symbol of victory. So, of course, they decide to, decided to appropriate that one along with Othala, which is kind of a square rune with an X attached at the bottom, which represents heritage and family and roots and all that stuff. But... Um, Yeah, those were appropriated by the Nazis, and because of that, they're pretty controversial in the Nordic community. Some people, you know, say, fuck the Nazis. These runes were used for thousands of years before the Nazis appropriated them. Let's, you know, let's reabsorb them and get rid of the association with Nazism. Other people, you know, they just don't use them because they don't want that association necessarily tied to their religion. Um, and then there's other things like 
I believe Thor is very heavily associated with white supremacy in some circles, not like actually only associated with it um, because, you know, Thor is a friggin' Marvel superhero. I don't think you can <laughs> necessarily completely appropriate him. But yeah, so there's, there is, there are some really problematic things that the Nazis did because, you know, Hitler kind of did cocaine and wanted to be a mystic. So um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. he was, in addition to being a horrible human being, he was just generally a weird dude. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just something that you have to consider if you're looking into dramatic or Nordic practices and something you have to be mindful in, especially in the research that you're doing. Um, and I don't know, personally to me, I'm all for fuck Nazis. These are traditions that were around for thousands of years before they absorbed them. And let's fight them and take them back. But it's also, you know, like I'm not gonna walk around with just like two Sawilos, like an SS uniform, that's insane. So- Yeah, especially yeah. it's important to understand that those symbols might still invoke fear and um, just complete mental anguish in others. Um, mm -hmm. So not, if, if it is a symbol that you want to use, I would keep it in your personal home practice mm -hmm. and not, you know, wearing it on a necklace or have it on your forehead or something like that. Mm -hmm. Just because it's important to understand that while we as, um, really, you know, non-Jews think of it as kind of ancient history. Um, most of my Jewish friends that I talk to, you know, when they're talking about the Holocaust, they're talking about their grandparents, mm -hmm. um, the horror stories that they've heard. So it was not a long time ago. It's still something that's very um, prevalent in people's, mm -hmm. in, in, you know, living memory. Um mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a good point. And I mean, I'm not at the point with my practice where I would be walking around with, you know, runes on a t-shirt in the first place. But it is, yeah. you know, that is a very good point. And I mean, there are, you know, there are 24 runes and two of them are problematic. So you have a lot to work with, even if you choose not to work with those runes. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just something you have to be mindful of. Or I think, Missa, you were even saying that the swastika used to be a symbol of Thor. Clearly, you cannot use yeah. that as a symbol of Thor anymore. Yeah, obviously. Um, I was we, When we were talking about glamour magic and um, two episodes ago, I think, uh, when I was doing, like, anointings and I was going to do something for Thor's Day, um, and I went to look it up, and it was the, the symbol wasn't quite a swastika but it was very similar and I was like I'm not even in my own personal practice I'm not anointing myself with that because it you know even though I'm not Jewish um the uh, Roma people and queer people were also persecuted during the holocaust so much so to the point that again we talk about we think it's a long time ago we don't even think of the Roma people as still existing um they were almost mm -hmm. completely decimated yeah so um, there's just too much history there to even think about that for me. Mm -hmm. Too much recent history, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. And it's also, but it's all, I don't know. And this might, this is a tangent, but it's also very interesting because 
the only pagan symbol that you can currently be buried with at a military cemetery in a U.S. military cemetery is Thor's hammer. So I don't know if that's an indication, like maybe there's a really high percentage of Nordic people who decide to use um, Norse traditions as inspirations to join the army. And because of that, there's a higher representation of those specific pagans in the military. But yeah, it's kind of interesting that uh, of all of the symbols for witchcraft and paganism, Thor's hammer is the only symbol you can be buried with in a military cemetery. You can't be buried with a pentacle? No, you can't. Fascinating. The man who I would have considered to be my grandfather when I was growing up, because both of my grandfathers, <laughs> one died before I was born and the other died when I was pretty young. And um, my mother's father is the one who died before I was born. And uh, she had a really close family friend who like ended up buying her wedding dress and walking her down the aisle and um, did all this other stuff. And basically he like is my grandfather my maternal grandfather and he was in the military so when he passed we put um we had we had him buried in a military cemetery and so I had to go through all this with them um I'm just huh. checking to see if anything's changed in the past few years um it looks like you can get oh there's a druid Alwyn symbol you can get buried with now huh. um there's a lot of indigenous symbols that you can get buried with uh, there's a pomegranate symbol although I don't know what that is relating to maybe it's a pagan thing maybe it's not I hadn't seen that before but yeah as far as I'm seeing there's no pentacle or anything that you can get That's buried very with. interesting yeah I don't know why I always assumed that there would be I mean maybe we just need more Wiccans in the military but I maybe. don't know <laughs> that might be taking a little far <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So that, God, this is a heavy episode. Let's move on, I guess, to transphobia. What mm -hmm. a fun topic that we're super fun having time with. <laughs> yeah. So we've talked about Z Budapest a bit and to give a little background on her. So she was a Hungarian woman um, who came to the U.S. and she started the first women's spaces or women's only covens. Um, it's called Diana Quicka. And this was really revolutionary at the time in witchcraft because before this, you know, everything was God or goddess and you couldn't have, um, you know, rituals without men being involved. There always had to be, you know, men and women and she did some really revolutionary things. Like she did a sky clad women's only ceremony at this big um, pagan festival. And she used uh, what were called radical fairies, I think, who are like um, chaos magic practitioners that are primarily gay, um, guard the circle so that way these husbands couldn't go in and pull them out basically because the men involved in it were so upset that the women were participating in this women only ceremony. So it's, she did a lot of revolutionary things at the same time. Yeah, she was also a woman um, that was arrested for practicing witchcraft. Mm -hmm. um, she was arrested for reading tarot cards and mm -hmm. fought to have Wicca recognized as a religion and protected under the first amendment. So mm -hmm. uh, again, she did a lot of great things. She, 
a lot of Diana Wicca teachings, and I did a, a thesis on this in college, um, but a lot of Diana Wicca teachings have reworked our old traditions. Um, so for instance, Gardnerian traditions, things like that, the wheel of the year to just include only goddess worship. So not a God and a goddess, mm-hmm. only a goddess. And I'm not going to put down women only spaces. I think it's incredibly important for women to be uh, not only in today's society, but especially in um, Z Budapest early times, she's still with us, but um, in, in those days, to have women-only spaces was very radical. And that was an important practice that she gave us and she gave to Wicca. Mm -hmm. Yes, but at the same time, the problem with her stems from this larger conversation that I feel like just our society in general is trying to come to grips with right now. And this is the idea of what is a woman, you know? And because there are trans women, having a vagina and breasts doesn't necessarily mean that you're a woman. However, to Z Budapest, unless you have a womb and breasts, you are not a woman and she does not want you to participate in her brand of witchcraft. Yes. Um, and we're going to go ahead and make the extremely controversial statement on this podcast and say, trans women are women. It's not controversial. It's just a fact. Trans women mm-hmm. are women. Period. Mm-hmm. End of story. <laughs> yes. Trans women are women. And if you have any sort of women, female or female space, I think. Um, so I've heard a really good um statement for when you want to kind of create a more inclusive space, but you don't want to disregard people, which is to create a what WTF space, which is women trans femmes space. So that could, that's a good alternative to, you know, saying this is a woman only space because then trans women may not feel welcome or, you know, gender by non-binary people may yes. not feel welcome. So um, yeah. yeah. That, that was actually, so when I was studying Z Budapest's teachings um, in college, tr- I had trans friends, but it was really the beginning of the trans movement. Um, the trans friends that I had were just, just barely coming out. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever been around trans people in my life. I didn't even really know a lot about it. So I don't think even that Budapest was at the point in her teachings where she was excluding trans women. I hadn't, that hadn't become a question yet as to whether mm-hmm. or not she would. Um, while I agree that there need to be women only spaces or, or femme only spaces uh, for purposes of protection and healings and, and things like that. I am a feminist that believes wholeheartedly in equality. I am not here for a matriarchy to put, to make men subservient to women I am mm-hmm. here to say fuck gender entirely. Um, and so to have this Dianic teaching that excludes men entirely, actually, I felt very harmful even back then, even before we were mm-hmm. exclude. you know, I knew she would be excluding trans people because, you know, what about queer men who maybe don't fit in in heteronormative masculine spaces but still identify as men. Um, Mm -hmm. And what about our non-binary people who don't fit into female only or male only spaces? I, again, Mm -hmm. I did not know any binary people in college. I'm okay. Wait, no, I knew them. 
I just did they, not know that they were not primary. <laughs> yeah. No. And I think the, yeah. And that's a good point with Z Budapest because she hasn't gotten in trouble for being a TERF until the last five or 10 years, which TERF stands for trans exclusionary radical feminist. So this is this branch of feminism that doesn't think we should be including trans women at all. They just see biological women or cisgendered women as um, the only ones that should benefit from feminism. And that's, you know, BS because if one group is oppressed, we're all oppressed. So, yeah. Yes. And so while I appreciate the things that Z Budapest um, you know, the, the teachings that she gave us and this, the idea of a woman-only space or a femme-only space, uh, protective space inside of Wicca. You know, we talked about Joel Gardner with Diana Wicca. We didn't have predatory high priests mm-hmm. um, forcing women into sex initiations, but they're excluding our trans sisters and, you know, our, our femme sisters is still extremely harmful Mm -hmm. and I made a decision years ago that while I I liked the concept the idea of Dianic Wicca um in that the god wasn't necessarily necessary wasn't necessarily the god wasn't um integral yeah it wasn't wasn't integral to witchcraft um I don't work with a lot of gods, male deities. My practice is primarily with goddesses, but I don't exclude gods entirely. If you do, that's fine too. Um, But so that teaching from her was very helpful for me in, in finding my path, but in the idea of excluding men entirely Mm -hmm. uh, and that didn't seem like a quality to me. Yeah. Um, so I, I rejected her teachings or, or her yeah. a long time ago. Well, yeah. And I read her book in the last year just because I had bought it and I decided to read it just to see what her ideas were all about. And I found it to be really problematic because it's not just that she excludes men, she openly vilifies them. And, you know, essentially to her, if you have a penis, you are evil. And I, I know that there are a lot of problematic men in the world. I have been hurt by a lot of men. I get it. However, you know, my father is one of the closest people in my life. And there are a lot of great men out there. I mean, think of some of your favorite songs are probably written by men. Um, my partner is a man and he is inc- he's a wonderful person who's very kind and gentle, gentle and considerate and, you know, respects me in all things. So it's, you know, there you can't just take, essentialize men like that you know women essentialization is basically saying all women are x all women are y and if you start to do that with men as well that's the problem and men suffer from patriarchy as well and we need to be yes those walls in addition to the walls the patriarchy is built around women before any of us are going to be able to get our shit together so Yes. That's when we talk about toxic, toxic masculinity. We're not talking about toxic men. We're talking about this masculinity that's been forced upon them. Um, Mm -hmm. that hurts men as much as it does women. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, that's when I found out that Z Budapest was a turf, I was not surprised in the least. Mm -hmm. And we'll, 
at that. Mm -hmm. Yep. So in summary, she did a lot of good things, but she has become a disappointment in the last 10 years. So Yes, absolutely. Okay, so now that we've talked about some really heavy shit, uh, we're going to talk about something that's a little bit lighter. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk briefly, just, you know, this is going to be a longer episode than usual, but um, I want to talk briefly about the Fox sisters. Um, so that's Margaret and Catherine Fox, who mm-hmm. were the young women that um, really advanced spiritualism in the United States and kind mm-hmm. of um, gave spiritualism, um, who, who popularized spiritualism in the United States. Um, Katie, yeah. you said you just listened to a podcast about them. Yeah, so there is this podcast, Unobscured, that takes an entire season to look at broad-ranging subjects. So their first season was actually on the Salem Witch Trials, which I highly recommend to anybody who's interested in learning a lot about that. Um, And this season, their second season, they focused on spiritualism. And they actually, um, kind of the way they talked about it is they focused on specific spiritualists within history and followed their lives basically. Um, And the Fox sisters were one of those spiritualists that they followed. So if you're unfamiliar with spiritualism, um, it was a spiritual practice that people still um, follow today. Um, But it was founded in the 19th century and it was based on the idea of holding seances to speak to the dead. Um, And these people, you know, they would speak to dead loved ones, but it didn't even stop there. They talked to, you know, dead um, former U.S. presidents like George Washington or Abraham Lincoln when he was shot. Abraham Lincoln, you know, his wife was even a spiritualist and there were seances in the White House. This was a big social movement back in the 19th century. And it's actually interesting because if you listen to this podcast, the spiritualists were really like the first, you know, hippie liberals um, because they... You know, they supported the women's vote. Actually, the first person to ever, the first woman to ever run for president was this woman, Victoria Woodhouse, who was a spiritualist. And essentially, she saw the suffragette movement and saw that they were just kind of talking to themselves and not talking to the larger larger dialogue or Congress. And so she said, fuck it, I'm going to, you know, go run for president and they can deal with it. Um, and But yeah, so spiritualism was this big, broad movement. And it's interesting because, you know, it was such a broad movement that there had to have been genuine people who actually believed in what they were experiencing. And, you know, through intuition or through actual phenomenon, were speaking to the spirits of the dead. However, there is very clear evidence that some people took advantage of this movement and were essentially charlatans who just went from town to town taking people's money. Yeah, so the Fox sisters um, were able to talk to the dead through um, knocking and and rapping. And we're not going to get into it too much. There's a lot of other information about them out there, and we've talked a lot tonight. At one point, one of the sisters... um, Let's see, which one was it? So one of the sisters, Margaret did write a tell-all book that the whole thing was a hoax and that they were double-jointed and using their toes to make the rapping sounds. Um, 
so there's questions about whether or not the young women that got the whole thing started were legitimate. And mm-hmm. again, that's kind of been a running theme with the people that we've been talking about tonight um, in that whether or not the what they gave us and the legacy that they left behind started from a legitimate place. Mm-hmm. Um, so the were not problematic in the same way that the other people we've been talking about were. Um, but I just wanted to kind of mention them as well. Well, but it mm-hmm. does have some larger, it has had larger implications because so basically the story is that the, the Fox sisters were pretty much raging alcoholics by the end of their lives. Um, but two of, there were three Fox sisters, um, the younger pair who started it, and then their sister, Leah, who was their manager more or less, um, and kind of joined them in doing seances. And, but she was significantly older than them. I think that she had had a child by the time that they were in their teens and they started the spiritualist movement. Um, but yeah, so the other two sisters had married up in the world and they weren't, destitute like Maggie was she was essentially impoverished by the end of her life which is kind of why she wrote this book in the throes of alcoholism which she did later go on to recant so there are so that's problematic in and of itself but also because she wrote this confession it really made all of spiritualism seem like it's a fraud and as a result you know mediums these days are generally regarded in the same way they're all considered to be frauds all seances are considered to be frauds it really discredited any type of spiritual work in the eyes of larger society um and especially because the spiritual work was something that was predominantly um woman driven Mm -hmm. yes exactly So so it discredited women who had power in a, a spiritual sense. Yes. So, and I mean, there very clearly were people who were taking advantage of the spiritualist movement and were trying to just make money and take money from people over it. However, it was a really large movement. Not all of these people could have been charlatans. Um, and there are actually spiritualists who are still alive today and are still practicing this today. But there's also, you know, mediums and people who aren't necessarily spiritualists, but they still commune with the dead. So, It's not like it is controversial because there's this general assumption in the public discourse that spiritualism was fraudulent. All of it was fraudulent. Um, But it's really just based on this one confession that the lady tried to recant later. So, yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to our last and final witch, not actual witch for the night. Mm-hmm. Marianne Williamson is a spiritual leader and an author. Um, again, she is not a witch, but shortly before she announced she was running for president, even uh, Pam Grossman had, was like tweeting about how she had just decided to, you know, reread Return to Love and how while she didn't appreciate all of the teachings, there was a lot in there that was really helpful to her. We're not going to talk about her for very long, but um our biggest problem with her is, is not again, because she's not a witch. She wouldn't necessarily put herself into our community, but a lot of our, the people in our community um, look up to her as a leader. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this previously as well, that we do not believe 
in magic instead of science. Mm-hmm. We do not believe that crystals and essential oils will heal you if you are sick, really mm-hmm. sick, and a doctor has prescribed something else to you. Absolutely use them in conjunction with each other if they don't have any counteractions. Um, but if you have strep throat, get a Z-pack. Yes. Uh, if, if, you have, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you have strep throat, this is something I say all the time because we have a hippie friend who doesn't ever go get antibiotics, but <laughs> you have strep throat and you don't get antibiotics, it turns into scarlet fucking fever and you will die. Go get antibiotics. Yes. Um, You know, and if something else makes you feel good. um, So my spouse right now, I like to keep a little tiger's eye by the bed for healing. But we also go to the doctor once a month for my Mm -hmm. spouse's condition right now. Like we are constantly getting modern medicine. Like Mm -hmm. I firmly believe in modern medicine and Marianne Williamson. Mm -hmm. So she's walked back some of these statements, um, but has in the past spoken out against modern medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. it's problematic because personally I use a lot of herbs, but like herbs aren't the same as antibiotics. Herbs aren't the same as, you know, going and getting um, real treatment or a real diagnosis for an issue. Like yeah, I have a cold buster tea for when I have a virus, but that's kind of just because it's a virus and I know that going to the doctor will not do anything for me anyway, so I might as well drink tea. Um, but, you know, if you need a Tdap vaccine mm-hmm. uh, because you've got a baby mm-hmm. that you are around and you don't want it to get whooping cough, mm-hmm. um, no amount of tea is going to prevent you from getting whooping cough and giving it to a baby. Exactly. Also, as an adult, everybody should go and get their vaccines rechecked and just go get vaccinated in general. Everybody should get vaccines. All all vaccines are good. I got the chickenpox vaccine when I was a kid. I was one of the first ones to get it. I am perfectly fine and I never got chickenpox. Just go get all your vaccines. But something I did last year, because there were all those measles outbreaks, is I had my doctor check to make sure my measles vaccine was still good and I didn't need a booster. And it turns out that, you know, at the age of 29, my measles vaccine was no longer active and I had to get another um, vaccination. So that is also something to keep in mind as you get older. And I think this year when I go in for my physical, because I have good health insurance, it'll cover all testing for my physical, is I'm just going to have them test for everything and make sure I don't need any other vaccines. So Go yeah. get vaccinated. And there are people every year and I hear them and they are smart people and they say, well, I never get the flu, so I'm not going to get the flu shot. Okay. Here's the issue, my friends. You might not die from the flu. You might be otherwise perfectly healthy. But if you get the flu and you go, you know, to the pharmacy to pick up or even to, you know, the grocery store to pick up your herbal tea to make yourself feel better because you got the flu. Um, And you go by someone with an immunodeficiency or whose um, immune system is compromised. If you're going past say a chemo patient um, who's at the grocery store because the grocery store also has a pharmacy and they need real drugs uh, and you give them the flu, you might have killed that person. So can you not do that? Can you just get the vaccine 
to protect the people that can't get the vaccine. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That is my soapbox. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so uh, additionally, uh, in addition to being previously anti-vax, again, she has walked back some of these statements. She's also um, advocated earlier for not using antidepressants. And we have a friend who, if it were not for her antidepressants, she would no longer be with us. Yeah. So we have a friend that's on some kind of, of psych meds. I don't know. I'm not her psychiatrist. I don't know the ins and outs and details of her prescriptions. But if it weren't for those psych meds, she would not have been able to accomplish everything that she's accomplished so far today. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are very important. If, if you need those drugs, I don't want you to be listening to Marianne Williamson or Gwyneth Paltrow and think, and I don't know if Gwyneth Paltrow has come out as anti, antidepressant, but <laughs> to think uh, instead of this, you know, drug that my psychiatrist has told me to take, I'm going to go ahead and just try herbs and crystals and oils and see how that, you know, that that's, what's going to work for me. You're welcome mm-hmm. to try it. You know, you're welcome to give it a go for two weeks a month, as long as you're not a harm to yourself or anyone else. But, um, you know, modern medicine isn't a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So if there's anyone in the witchcraft community, that's telling you that you shouldn't be using modern medicine. Um, I would maybe avoid those people or try to talk some sense into them if you can. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, there is a portion of society that really romanticizes getting off your meds and like all of a sudden you're yourself again because your meds made you dead inside or whatever. Um, But the reality is that if, you know, psych meds are really difficult to do, that's why there's a bunch of them. And that's why they say do it through a trained psychiatrist because, you know, some some medications that could solve depression and other people might do the exact opposite to your brain and make you suicidal. So there, there is that going on, but also, you know, when it's done correctly, you know, I have a mental health disorder. Um, I don't take meds for it, but I understand what your brain does when you're in the throes of that. And, you know, what a, what psych meds do when they are done well is kind of just bring you back to um, functioning like a normal human being. It's not, you know, cause when you're depressed, you just lay around because you don't have the energy to go do the dishes or take a shower or do anything really. You just don't have the energy to do anything other than kind of keep yourself alive. But even that's iffy. Um, and what, you know, antidepressants do is they allow you to be like, oh, I should do this and I should do that. And I like it, it allows you to function like a normal human being. Um, so not that I'm saying, you know, that there's anything wrong with being depressed. I personally have suffered from depression myself for most of my life. Um, but, you know, if you need meds, you need meds. If And, you know, they could be a lifesaver for you. Yeah. So don't let anyone tell you that you need to stop taking your meds. If it's something, again, we're not doctors, but um, don't listen to anyone who is not a doctor who's telling you you don't need medication. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But we'll, we'll leave it 